everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Max Sabo from uh, a uh, consultant. How are you doing these days? I'm well, David. Thanks for having me. So what are you up to right now? Um, lots of uh, fun fun projects and, and uh, people that we have the opportunity to work with. But uh, I think um, most of all, it's just an interesting time to be an observer of this work and uh, what's happening across the state of California and the rest of the country. So um, I kind of wanted you to start by talking about uh, some of your previous work uh, with George Gascone in San Francisco and kind of curious as to your impression of Gascone in San Francisco versus Gascone in LA. Sure, so um, I uh, started working with uh, DA Gascone in San Francisco in uh, 2013. and uh, before that, I had actually, when he was chief of police, we actually met when uh, then Mayor Gavin Newsom uh, asked him to be the face of a, a controversial uh, ballot measure in San Francisco, I think back in around 2010. Um, I was kind of running that campaign, and that's how we initially hooked up. And then a few years later, he asked me to come and work for him uh, when he was district attorney in San Francisco. Um, I, uh, while I was working for him, I went back to school and got my law degree, and um, over time, um, I uh, was promoted and um, ultimately left um, after he, he swore me in as an assistant DA, but I never really practiced in the courtroom. Um, but I managed communications and legislative affairs for the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. And it was a really interesting time to be there. Um, a lot of people sort of uh, saw him and his time in the office there as uh, his being sort of the, the godfather of progressive prosecution. He was certainly one of the first um, prosecutors to, uh, you know, really begin to uh, use data in a way to uh, approach uh, modern prosecution tactics and strategies, which, you know, might demonstrate more leniency instead of, you know, the traditional uh, efforts to throw the book at folks, Um, but certainly in a way that yielded a lot of positive results. Um, You know, when he left office, um, violent crime in San Francisco had reached levels not seen in something like over 50 or 60 years. So um, what he did there was really working. Um, and a lot of the initiatives that um, I had the opportunity to sort of work on with him uh, were have are, you know, continue to be duplicated across the state. And you're seeing 
um, more conservative prosecutors, um, you know, like Jeff Reisig, even in Yolo County, implement programs, um, uh, you know, that he uh, initi that he initiated in San Francisco, for example, around um, race blind charging uh, uh, and, and other uh, efforts. So um, it was a really exciting time. Um, we kind of were pioneering a, a lot of the playbook that you're seeing, not only progressive prosecutors, but other DAs uh, execute elsewhere. And um, uh, I learned a lot and had a lot, to, had the opportunity to learn quite a bit from him at the time. So what's your perception of Guscoon in LA? Has, has he changed or is he kind of the same person as he was? Um, I would say it's a bit of both. Um, you know, I think, you know, like any good uh, leader, and I think he, he's the first person to, set, to say this, um, you know, he is somebody who evolves as he learns new things and uh, as he, um, you know, as his experience grows and he's had, you know, almost half a century of experience in law enforcement at this time. Um, and uh, so in that respect, I think he's evolving and changing. Um, uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, you know, he's very much still the same person he's always been. He's incredibly principled, right? And um, principled to a fault in some respects, right? He, you know, implemented those policies, uh, the blanket policies out of, you know, a place of firm belief that uh, enhancements, for example, do not enhance safety. They are simply a product of, you know, the 1990s um, and, you know, early 2000s, where we were lengthening sentences largely for, you know, to, to check the political box that, you know, prosecutors were, and, you know, sorry, elected officials were implementing this whole new regime of enhancements um, to score political points, uh, not because of any data or science that suggested that it actually increased um, safety in our communities. And, um, you know, I like to say that when you make policy based on the extremes, you make bad policy. And, you um, uh, what I think George Gascon was doing was making policy based on the norm. And I think he caught a lot of flack, frankly, for um, doing that uh, in a manner that, you know, simultaneously didn't account for the most extreme cases, right? When you have, when you make policy based on the norm and, and what's happening in courtrooms on a daily basis, uh, but you're not uh, accounting for the most extraordinary, rare outlier cases, um, uh, you know, a lot of his administration and, and what he's done um, has been defined by many in the media um, around those very, very you know, rare outlier cases instead of, frankly, what's happening on a daily basis. Um, so I think he's the same but different, I guess, if that's my, uh, my, my answer. Uh, simultaneously, um, you know, I think it's a different office than San Francisco as well. Uh, fundamentally, it's a civil uh, uh, service position office. So individuals who are prosecutors there are not subject to being dismissed at the will of the district attorney, right? They have civil service protections. Um, and, you know, when you have a union that has fought him, as, you know, for, since the time that he announced his candidacy for, for office, um, you know, I was with him the day that he announced his uh, run for district attorney in Los Angeles County. I, I, was, I was with him. Uh, one of our first meetings was with the Los Angeles Deputy District Attorneys Association. Um, and it was hostile from day one. You know, they were always hostile towards him. Um, and I remember when we did a meeting right after he was, uh, you know, uh, between when he was elected and his inauguration in 2020. Uh, and it was hostile 
still then, right? Um, so they have never uh, really given him a chance or an opportunity to succeed. They have fought him at every corner um, and they have civil service protections from which to do so. And I think he as an administrator had to make a decision at the time that he took office as to whether he was going to you know, heed uh, the call of the voters and the mandate that he was given when he was elected, or if he was going to kowtow to the Deputy District Attorneys Association. Um, and uh, I think we all know uh, where he came down on that decision. Um, there, you know, the, the, at least the union are, is, is not happy with him for, um, uh, you know, going with what the voters have overwhelmingly said they want, which is, re which is reform. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that has certainly made it more of a challenge for him. Um, but, uh, you know, thus far he's, uh, you know, been able to execute, you know, a, a, a reform-minded vision for Los Angeles County, which, uh, was, you know, a long time coming. News in LA, uh, from early July and, uh, you know, they were asking you about the recall and, and all the signatures. And of course, now we know that uh, they blundered terribly uh, and, and failed to uh, qualify it. Uh, what's your kind of take on all of that now? Well, um, more interesting than ever, especially I think in light of some recent red state reporting, but I'll circle back to that in a moment. Odd to me that they were able to, you know, I believe in uh, the, you know, the signatures were due and um, early July, as I recall, and, um, uh, you know, in early June, I believe they, they claim to have had, you know, the number of signatures not accounting for the extras that you need to get over the threshold um, to qualify the initiative, which was like 560,000, 570,000 signatures. Um, but then when they turned the signatures in three weeks later or a month later, um, they happened to, they they showed up with 720,000 signatures, um, which begs the question, you know, the signatures at the end of a, of a signature gathering campaign are the more difficult signatures to gather, right? You've already gotten the low hanging fruit. And, um, you know, so I had real uh, sort of trepidation around the validity of the last round of signature collection that they uh, had executed. Um, how was it possible that they gathered so many signatures in such a short amount of time, given that this was the most difficult period in which, you know, for them to actually gather signatures and given the rate at which they had gathered signatures previously. So, you know, um, you know, I was kind of quick to call bogus for uh, lack of a, of, a, of a better term there. And, um, uh, uh, you know, lo and behold, it turned out to be just that. And frankly, you know, some reporting out of red states suggests that they actually engaged in, you know, uh, widespread fraud, uh, perjury, and, and otherwise, um, uh, which is frankly the height of irony. You have a campaign that was launched under the guise of, you know, law and order um, that, you know, you know that steep that stooped to you know, a, uh, a, you know, a level wherein they're engaged in widespread fraud and perjury to attempt to get it over, you know, to attempt to get it on the ballot, which was allegedly witnessed by deputy district attorneys supporting, you know, this vision for law and order while they're witnessing, you know, potentially thousands of counts of perjury occur right in front of their eyes. So I I'm, uh, you know, I think it just goes to um, 
show what a sham the recall was to begin with. Um, this is not about safety. This is about politics and power. And, uh, you know, recently you've seen, you know, data come out that highlights that, you know, the, your likelihood of being a victim of, of homicide was far more likely to occur in more conservative counties across California than it was in the more progressive uh, counties held by, uh, uh, you know, progressive district attorneys. Um, led one LA Times colonist whom, whom an admirer of to, uh, you know, point out that the likelihood that you're going to find a uh, progressive district attorney in some of these more conservative counties is akin to finding a mermaid riding a unicorn. And um, uh, this is uh, sort of the political environment we're, we're living in where, um, you know, facts continue to be secondary to sort of the reality. And um, especially given the difficulties that, um, you know, crime reporting, uh, that crime reporters have with um, sort of contextualizing some of these stories and the issues that we're, we're discussing, it, it, it really generates a lot of misplaced fear around um, reform and reform-minded district attorneys. You know, the reality is that these policies make us safer and, um, uh, you know, hopefully over time the, the public is going to, um, you know, really begin to uh, uh, have the op opportunity to understand that. So let's talk about a, a few of uh, the lower moments of the year, um, starting with the recall of Bodine. What is your take on that? You know, it's really sad. Um, you know, Chesa, uh, you know, I think every district attorney has to have, you know, just like every person who comes to this work, you know, has their own approach and their own lens. And, um, you know, as a public defender, he came to this work with, you know, as somebody who was really hyper-focused on addressing the inequities and the, and, and the injustices that so often define our criminal justice system. Now, you know, that approach, you know, truthfully, I'm, you know, if you look at the numbers, right, actually also benefits our safety. Um, but the manner in which you know, people perceived him as only focusing on, you know, the injustices and inequities um, left them feeling as though he wasn't focusing on people's safety. Um, you know, I think I would dispute that that's actually the case. I know Chaso would too. I certainly believe that he was very much focused on people's safety. Um, uh, it's just, you know, he was talking about these issues in a way um, which made people feel as though that was a secondary concern for him, even when it wasn't. And, um, you know, that's unfortunate. I think that that, um, you know, he got a bad rap as a result. And, and that's so, sort of what the polling shows. People believe, uh, you know, the, the most you know, people want to see accountability. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean longer terms of incarceration. Um, you know, it can mean that somebody engages in a restorative justice process. It can mean that somebody uh, is, um, uh, you know, diverted, right? Um, it can mean that they're just arrested. Uh, uh, and certainly for more, you know, serious offenses and more violent offenses um, and or more, you know, repeat offenders, more account, you know, heightened accountability can be associated with longer terms of, of incarceration. But, uh, you know, his... Uh, sort of the language that he was using, I think, led people, um, you know, in, in inadvertently to believe that he wasn't holding people accountable. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, he was recalled, despite the fact that during his tenure, crime went down. 
Um, and I think that that really highlights, uh, for me, the difficulty and the complexities of communicating around criminal justice reform. Um, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, very close to, um, you know, Jay Jordan, uh, who's uh, now the president of the Alliance for Safety and Justice, once told me that um, criminal justice reform is 5% policy and 95% message. And I could not agree more with that analysis because far too often um, people sour on reform um, because of perceptions as opposed to reality. And when it comes to elections, perception is reality. And I think that that was uh, the problem that Chase ultimately faced uh, in his recent uh, you know, recall. And um, you know, I think it's a shame I th that he didn't have an opportunity to at least uh, serve his full term and um, you know, let, let people draw conclusions based on that as opposed to the difficult media environment that we were in coming out of a pandemic. Uh, when you know cases weren't going to trial and and what have you, I do think that uh, you know he didn't really have the opportunity that he uh, deserved to um, uh, showcase that his uh, vision was um, you know showcase that his vision could be successful and was successful. Um, and certainly, the other problem I think is that he was running against himself. Uh, you know, in a recall election, San Francisco desperately needs recall reform you know he ultimately ended up with more votes um you know effectively more people voted against the recall than actually voted for him in his first you know when he actually ran for office the first time and i think that's really problematic um that you know any, any especially in a jurisdiction with ranked choice voting that you're able to get thrown out of office um uh without running against somebody else and ultimately um, then more people voted to keep him in office um, than he was initially elected with to begin with, uh, I think really kind of undermines our electoral system here in San Francisco. Yeah, a lot of strange dynamics. Uh, one of the strangest things to me, uh, when we went to San Francisco for the first time in, in 2019, uh, we covered a trial and uh, the prosecutor in that trial was Brooke Jenkins. And um, it was um, a bad trial. Um, she probably committed prosecutorial misconduct um, in that trial. She ended up uh, losing the trial. Uh, the, the defendant got uh, acquitted in that trial. Then, of course, uh, you know, she ends up uh, resigning from Boudin's DA's office and uh, joining the recall campaign. Uh, we now know that she was getting paid by some entity that was affiliated with the recall, even though she claims that uh, she was working for a nonprofit, which I don't know how all that works. And now she's the DA. Uh, so uh, what, what's your take on her so far? Um. You know, I think at the moment she's experiencing, like any new elected official, a honeymoon period. Um, but I do think that in this climate um, and in that job, she does not have long to prove, uh, you know, to, to get results, um, especially given what we're seeing in San Francisco and where people uh, have come down on, uh, you know, on both the former district attorney just two years into his first term. Um, her strongest ally, Mayor Breed, has recently seen her poll numbers take a huge hit as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think the idea that she can, um, you know, 
skate by is 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 you know would be a mistake uh, to believe as much, especially given the you know implied promises she made as the spokesperson for the recall. Right when you're critical of the incumbent, and you say that you know what they're doing is creating you know a community that is less safe. The implication that has for the voters is that you know better, and now she has the reins, and she is going to be, you know, blamed or heralded for the results on on you know a lot of social issues that frankly fall outside of her purview as district attorney. Um, a lot of the problems in San Francisco ultimately relate to uh, you know the fact that there's a very few number of arrests. For example, drug dealing. There's two arrests made per day citywide. You know, I don't know what she's going to be able to do about the drug dealing issue in our community um, if, you know, very, you know, as the prosecutor, if so few cases are coming to her to begin with. And frankly, if those are cases that are just simple possession for sale, as opposed to cases associated with conspiracy, because the courts are just simply not going to hold those people in custody pre-trial. Um, so she's, um, she's, she's, she's got a lot of responsibility for a lot of problems that she has limited control and power over, um, let alone the treatment and services and you know mental health issues that are plaguing San Francisco streets. Frankly, that all fall under the the mayor's office. She can't really be critical of her ally, so I, I do believe that she finds herself in a difficult situation. Um, she may ride the honeymoon period out through this next election. Um, but I think time is is going to tell what she's going to be able to do about problems that have evaded generations of the most seasoned politicians in San Francisco, California, and even the nation. So um, I do believe that this is going to be a, an interesting uh, um, uh, situation to watch here in San Francisco. And, um, you know, I do believe that she has set herself up uh, uh, in a position that you set herself up on issues that it's going to be very difficult for her to deliver results on. A lot of people I've talked to were kind of uh, taken aback by uh, Mayor Breed's decision to even appoint Jenkins. Um, and, and they felt like, and even John Hamasaki, one of the people running against Jenkins basically said, you know, hey, you know, she had just appointed kind of a moderate um, that uh, everybody would have kind of taken a deep breath and uh, maybe moved on. Uh, instead, uh, she kind of poured salt in the wound by by naming Jenkins in the first place. What's your take on that? You know, it, it's hard to say. I think that there were other, you know, from what I've heard about the appointment process, there were certain um, sort of litmus tests that were required in order for uh, someone to be considered for the appointment. Um, you know, I think specifically, you know, and again, this is somewhat rumored, so I can't say exactly, and I just want to preface that, but I understand that some people were basically, you know, interested in that would have been excellent choices um, that I don't think would be regarded as either moderate or progressive. Um, but individuals who are now on the bench, who had, you know, who used to be the head of the homicide division in the San Francisco District Attorney's Office, um, uh, but I understand that certain litmus tests were required, such as whether or not they would be, uh, they would aggressively prosecute drug dealers. Now, you know, there's a, there's a difference between holding drug dealers accountable and then just simply aggressively prosecuting them. Because if you don't have the ability 
because of other structural issues, such as you're only getting cases which are possession for sale instead of showing conspiracy, and you're not going to have, you know, results given sort of what San Francisco, what the bench in San Francisco is doing with those types of cases. Um, you're 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 enga- you're not engaging in in sort of a, I mean, you're, you're engaging in a tough on crime prosecution strategy, but for the for a public relations purpose, not for an actual, not for the purposes of actually effective, effectuating change on the streets, you know, for our community in San Francisco or otherwise. And I, I believe that, you know, from my understanding, the other candidates that, she, that were actually under strong consideration up until the very end uh, wouldn't commit to, you know, pursuing a strategy that was baited to, you know, that would, would ultimately fail, that was destined to fail. Um, and I believe that that was their uh, their downfall and the reason they didn't actually get the pick. Um, and um, clearly, at least from what we're seeing, if, if, if that was in fact the litmus test, DA Jenkins was willing to engage in this strategy, even though we know that it probably won't work. Um, and, you know, I don't know if the, the, the rationale for making that pick was we need to make people feel safe, even if nothing's going to change on the streets of San Francisco, as opposed to, you know, we need to do the hard work to actually identify the solutions that need to be implemented and executed. Um, and I'm looking for a partner and a district attorney who's going to work with me to make that happen. Um, and if that's the case, you know, I have broader concerns around sort of the decision-making process that occurred there. Um, but, uh, you know, I wasn't in the room and, you um, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, we are where we are today, and um, the voters are going to be the ones that have the the final say on whether that vision is, uh, you know, that PR vision, uh, you know, alone is going to uh, rule the day, or if we're going to have a, a shift in direction. So I did want to talk a little bit about Orange County and Pete Hardin, um, and you know, obviously, Pete didn't do that well, um, but maybe surprisingly because Spitzer has so many problems. Um, At times he really did appear to be unhinged. And, um, you know, there's at least 10 years going back of scandal in Orange County, which he had gotten elected uh, pledging to clean up some of that. And if anything, he made it worse. so you were involved in, in Hardin's campaign. What's your take on what went wrong there? Uh, I mean, I think the threshold issue that we faced was turnout was extraordinarily low. Um, if you look at it, was, it was older, it was wider, it was more conservative. Um, you know, I think that this sort of harkens to some of the con- issues with DA elections in general is, you know, outside of Los Angeles and San Francisco, they occur in off election years where you get a smaller slice of the electorate, which um, if you do you know, a June primary election in an off cycle year, you're getting among the most, the smallest and most conservative turnout that you're gonna see. And um, you know, lower turnout elections trend more conservative. Um, you know, you're gonna trend towards homeowners. You're gonna trend towards people voting with their wallet. Right, um, you know, versus you know a presidential, you know, primary and general election, you're going to see you know more voters, a, a more uh, an election that's more reflective of the community itself. Um, now, 
you know, it may not have made a just, you know, I just based on the on the numbers, it may not have made a difference. Um, I think it's possible that in a you know, June primary election, if you, you know, if the if the um, if the you know if, if the number of Democrats participating had you know gone up considerably, um, you know, it's possible we get into a November general. Uh, you know, Pete's odds as a first-time candidate against you know somebody who'd been running in in Orange County for 25 plus years uh, still weren't going to be, we're, we're, it was always going to be a struggle for him. Um, and I just, you know, really quickly want to give a huge shout out to him to, for, you know, taking on that challenge, uh, which he always knew was going to be an uphill battle um, and for doing it and for doing it for the right reasons, uh, nonetheless. Um, now, you know, I, I do think that uh, first and foremost, Orange County, it is changing, but it's changing slowly. And, um, you know, Democrats now outnumber Republicans and in, in, in registration, there is a registration advantage. Um, but we didn't see that, unfortunately, in, the, in that primary election. So um, I think it's, it's, you know, certainly disappointing. Um, but I, you know, that is a more traditional county. And, you know, Pete was talking about, you know, issues uh, you know, probably in the most difficult climate for criminal justice reform that we had seen in a while. You know, this was still in the middle of the recall election of George Gascon. There's no separate media market in Orange County, right? So anything, everything that everybody is seeing about criminal justice and prosecutors was related to the controversy surrounding George Gascon. And I think, you know, Todd Spitzer, uh, you know, did effectively, um, uh, although I hate to admit it, you know, attempted to, you know, and I don't agree with this, but, you know, attempted to hitch him to the controversy surrounding George Gascon. And, you know, again, there's no separation. It's not as though we're in the San Diego media market, which is not covering Los Angeles. Orange County gets his news from all the Los Angeles TV stations. And, um, you know, that associate, you know, and certainly without with much less of the actual coverage about the local races and the, the local shenanigans that were going on in that DA's office. You know, we saw some incredible scandals that were national news come out of that office that didn't even register a blip. And that is so frightening and problematic. I mean, this is somebody that made, you know, explicitly racist statements in the context of deciding whether or not somebody should be put to death. And, you know, talking about the race of the defendant's girlfriends, right, which is highly illegal. Um, and, you know, not only has implications for that case, but frankly, for every case involving a person of color that goes to that office going forward, and you're already seeing this, you're seeing defense attorneys file motions, you know, questioning, you know, whether or not there's racism in the types of decisions being made by that prosecutor's office. And that's just gonna hang over a like as a cloud over him and over that office um, and, uh, until, he's, until, until he's cleaned out. Um, so, you know, look, I'm, I'm definitely disappointed that we didn't fare better. Um, you know, I'm sure there's things that I could have done better, you know, as, uh, um, you know, as an advisor to him and certainly things that our campaign could have done better. You know, he worked so hard and raised a ton of money. Um, and, you know, ultimately that's really disappointing, uh, the result there. Um, but you know what, we'll, you know, we'll continue to, to fight to, uh, you know, help to install reformers and, and folks that are going to be, um, you know, making change and, uh, you know, whether it's in Orange County or elsewhere, we're, um, that's disappointing as that was, we're, we're not giving up. And then finally, um, you know, talk a little bit about your work with the Prosecutors Alliance and 
how that organization is probably shifting a little bit um, at, at this point in time? Yeah, um, you know, look, first off, there are, so the Prosecutors Alliance, for those who are not familiar, is an association of reform-minded prosecutors across California. Um, you know, as a group, uh, these are, it's a diverse group of prosecutors, right, um, uh, with their own personal experiences. Uh, I think what's really interesting is how uh, you know, the, the, very the very unique path that each of the sort of um, founding members of the organization kind of came to this work. You know, former judge, former line DA, former police officer, former public defender. Um, and so to see those different, you know, kind of uh, individuals come together, um, I think really sort of speaks to the... Um, the appeal of criminal justice reform and for, you know, practitioners that are working in this space. Um, and so, you know, in terms of their trajectory, um, I'm not really too concerned, right? We're, we're seeing, we continue to see reformers elected across the state. Almost certainly Attorney General Rob Bonta is going to be elected as, you know, to a full term as Attorney General. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in Alameda, uh, you know, um, we'll see what happens in San Francisco in the long term as well. Um, so uh, I'm confident that their membership will grow. I, I think as an organization, we are certainly shifting our focus, um, you know, a little bit in terms of, you know, how we, we operate. I think, you know, we want this to be more staff driven. You know, unfortunately, criminal justice reform is just so politicized that um, focusing and centering, you know, everything that, the, that, that the members do kind of takes away from, you know, the, the, the work in a lot of respect because people attack it as being political as opposed to let's talk about the policy and what, what we're actually doing. So we're, you know, I think we're going to be focusing much more on the policy and a lot of state legislation. Um, certainly we're going to continue to defend and support reformers um, across the state. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be an exciting time just in terms of all of the amazing sort of policy efforts that we're going to be pushing forward um, and communicating about those, right? That continues to be a, a real challenge. It's just, you know, how we talk about reform uh, in a way that, um, you know, makes people understand that this is something that makes us safer, not just correcting sort of the racial injustices that, you know, have come to plague and define the criminal justice system. Well, I want to thank you for coming on here and, uh, and sharing some of the stuff going on here. Hey, my pleasure. You know, we've got a lot of other stuff we're working on too. We're, um, you know, very fortunate to, to support uh, reform and reformers and policies and causes and, uh, you know, law enforcement officials that are looking to make a change in their community. And um, just, uh, you know, thank you for, for having us. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stay tuned and look forward to working with you in the future. Max Zabo, this has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.